Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glixman with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And it's our quarterback extravaganza 2019 edition for the NFL Draft. But before we get into that, Matt, there was a national title game. There was. There was, yes. I guess it's important that we put a bow on this college basketball season. We talked a lot about it through the through the course of the last few months, mostly ASU. Um, but in the last uh, month or so, we've... We've uh, done what college basketball fans do and start to become uh, national basketball experts um, with a mix of success. But, uh, yeah, Virginia, a heck of a story, heck of a rebound. Um, you know, it's, it's the classic, uh, un, you know, not underdog story, but the classic turnaround comeback. story. That it's a comeback. Sports. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the uh, I mean, it you know, reminds me a bit different, but, Reminds me a bit of the Spurs in, you know, 2013 and 14 when they had the devastating finals loss and, you know, come back the next year and win it. It's, it's hard to do. And, and uh, you know, they didn't get all the way to the final. They had the embarrassment of, you know, losing in the first round. Getting Being blown the out first, first one round. to ever lose uh, yeah. to 16. Yeah, and not even really close. I mean, that game was a blowout last year, really. They, I think they lost by 20-plus. Well, I remember you uh, and I were texting, like, well, when, when's the comeback man, start? Like, where's was, the comeback? It was a crazy one. I, I, I'll always remember, because I went to see, and you know, different time of year uh, this year, but ASU was having spring practice, and I went. It was, I think, I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday night, but I went and watched some of spring practice, and I left when it was halftime, and they were down, I think, maybe two or three points. And I thought, okay, you know, that's interesting. You know, I'll go home and watch it, but I'm sure they're going to blow them away. And I, and then, you know, second half started on the radio, and they get further and further down. And then I get home, and I turn it on TV, and they get further and further down. And it was like you kept expecting, you know, the break, and the break never happened. Um, but, a, you know, a great story to come back with, with most of the same team. Um, you know, a couple guys that were, were key players were seniors, but everybody else back same coach and and do it and and you know shut a lot of people up who said you know oh this guy can't win in the tournament well yes he can and and he proved it at the grandest level i guess yeah the system doesn't work but now it does so it does i mean you know it's the latest in a long list of you know coaches slash players who can't win the big one um you know whether it's uh alex rodriguez you know peyton manning uh lebron you know, Roy Williams used to have that knack, uh, that uh, you know, knock on him. Billy Donovan, um, you know, Jay Wright, uh, until a couple years back, and, and you know, we we add another one to that list of guys who kind of get the monkey off their back. Yeah, well, Bayheim before Carmelo. So, yeah, you know. um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, I mean, you know, now you put it in context with what Tony Bennett's done, winning, you know, a, a share at least of the ACC, I think, four years in a row. Um, you know, getting getting to you know several number one seeds, never getting to the final four before this year, but finally got over that hump, and it was a really good game. I mean, and I think everybody was so prepared for you know a game played in the forties um, that you know it surprised a lot of people that you know these were two pretty good teams. Yes, they played great defense, but they also had guys who could make shots. And um, DeAndre Hunter finally looked like the lottery pick he's supposed to be. He spent most of the tournament kind of just coasting and not really doing a whole lot, but he finally came alive and made huge shots for him. Yeah. And when the tournament ends, I think your favorite moment of any college basketball season 
the one shining moment. Yeah, yeah, uh, always fun to watch, yes. And it you know, featured not, uh, featured two ASU it players. It did, yes, yes. Uh, Romello White in a random sort of shot where he was just like, walking for the opening tip or something, but I guess somebody liked that video. Um, and Lou Dort's uh, tumble in the first four game where he fell on his leg, ended mm-hmm. up coming back. And, of course, on that note, Lou Dort moving on to the NBA, as we projected most of the season, um, that that would be the mm-hmm. case. And it appears, although the door remains slightly open because of the rule change, the door is not likely to be kicked open to return, that he is uh, on his way to the next level. It was a video and an Instagram slash Twitter post that was both French and English (laughs) where he announced that he was leaving. Uh, He thanked ASU, did all of the things that you would want a guy to say about I'm always going to be thankful. It was like a second home, which is good for recruiting. Um, Yep, yep, yep. You know, a little surprised that he would uh, so declaratively – now again, you know, you made the point today and, and you were correct – when we were texting about it, that, um, you know, there is the option for him to come back, but surprising that he would, you know, close the door on that basically, because he's a borderline first round pick, I think. And, and, um, you know, I suppose he can still change his mind, but it doesn't seem like he has any intention of doing that. At this point, as an ASU fan, I think you would agree. You got to just root for him to go high and be a a success. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to go regardless. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't sound like from what he's saying and what's being reported that, you know, oh, if he uh, gets a second round grade, he's coming back. Doesn't doesn't appear that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I with with every one of the guys that go pro, you know, you, you wish him the best of luck. I mean, you might not always get the decision. Um, in his case, though, I do get it. We, we spent a lot of time talking about it over the course of the last couple months and you know, it, it's it's uh, the way basketball is now. It's it makes sense, and so you know, I hope he does well. And I have a feeling we're you know we won't hear from him much the next year or so. He'll probably be toiling away on a G League roster for a bit. But hopefully, um, you know, down the road we we hear his name again and think, oh yeah, I know he's he's making it now in the NBA. I hope so. Yes, uh, it would be good marketing for Bobby Hurley, although. Uh, what- as happens at the end of college basketball sure. season, uh, Chris Mullen is resigning, retiring from St. Yeah. John's, and in a Doc Riversian move, <laughs> they just watched a guy beat them, so now they want him on their team. Right. Bobby Hurley appears to be a a high target, according to John Rothstein and others. Yeah, um, yeah, with a Duke connection there, that you know the new AD has been a long-time Duke guy, um, you know, I guess worked at Duke when Hurley played there and has been there for a long time before he, you know, took this job at St. John. So there's a, you know, and obviously the New York, you know, connection going back close to home. There's a, there's a reason to have it on the radar, but I still say I'd be surprised. I, I don't think, I'm not foolish enough to think that he's going to retire at ASU and be here for 20 plus years. Um, but St. John's, I don't think, is a step up. In fact, I think it's a bit of a coaching graveyard. And, you know, for somebody who may have big dreams in the coaching business, I don't know that St. John's is the place you want to go. I don't think it brings him closer to a Duke no, job. No, or it a, might bring him further away. Yeah. I mean, that is a that has been a wasteland for 
30 years now, really, since Lou Karnaseka retired. You know, with a few exceptions, Mike Jarvis had one or two good teams. But that was Steve 20 Lavin years ago. had one good team. Yeah, that, that but, I think made it to the tournament, but yeah. didn't, you know, didn't make a deep run. Um, you well, know, and it's, that's, just, it's that's, a tough place. That's one of the things about being at ASU versus being at St. John's. Um, even if you had the same season at ASU as you did at St. John's, it just would be unnoticed as right. opposed to right. scrutinized and belittled. If it was right. a bad, nondescript year, yeah, ASU yeah, just, does. You know, no one watches the games. It's it's kind of like how the Phoenix fandom is in general is how the na- national fandom is. If you're not yeah. good, it's not that people get on you; it's that they just tune you out. They just don't care. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I agree. It just. I mean, those those big city East programs that have great history lately have not been able to you know i mean it's just different you look at DePaul, you look at georgetown you look at st john's um it's tough they're playing you know they, they don't play in on-campus arenas you know, st john's plays their home games at madison square garden it's not a great atmosphere for college basketball when it's when it's you know half empty great arena but it's not a college arena um you know, and it's just, it's hard. I mean, you know, I think people think, ah, oh, New York City, you can get anybody you want. Well, that's not the case. It hasn't been the case. Um, same with DePaul in Chicago, same with Georgetown in D.C. It's not easy. And, and so, you know, they're losing a lot. They, they lost, I think, three or four starters in this year's team. I just would be very surprised if he made that move. If he does, he does. And, you know, there's got to be a reason for it. But I, I'd be surprised. I guess not totally shocked, but definitely, you know, don't expect it. On the Pac-12 movers and shakers, UCLA finally got their splash higher. John, yeah. Ca- wait, nope, John Calipari stayed. <laughs> uh, but then they, no, but they got, they got Rick Barnes who led his, right. oh, nope, nope, it, they didn't get Rick Barnes either. No, he stayed at Tennessee. They got or Mick, Jamie Dixon. They, they got yeah. Mick Cronin. Uh, yeah. who has been to a lot of tournaments with Cincinnati, and he's probably a good coach. He's just not yeah. a splashy name. He's not. He's <laughs> not, and it's not a flashy style that he plays either, you know, for a, for a program that I think really, you know, wants to be, uh, you know, wants to gain traction in a difficult L.A. market to do that. You know, Mick Cronin is a, is a defense, grind-it-out type of coach. Um, it can be successful, and, and you know, I, I would expect him to, you know, get to some tournaments and, you know, have a chance to win the Pac-12, um, but it's going to make recruiting interesting. Flash. He's uh, yeah. He here's the thing. He, his style is analogous to Stanford football in relation to the rest of the conference. Yeah. If he can pull yeah. it off and do it well and bend other teams to his style, they'll sure, win a lot of sure. games and they'll be a yeah. power. You yeah. know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's a guy who you know Cincinnati has tough guys you know that's that's kind of the rep that they've gotten with him even before him with Huggins um you know it's a it's a tough guy team you know big uh, they play tough defense um you know not a not really a run and gun uh, you know score points type of team uh very effective I mean they've been good now not great in the tournament I think he's only been to one sweet 16 in all these times and you know they've had some uh, you know, the last couple of years, last year, I believe they were a two seed, got beat in the second round. This year, they were a seven seed, got beat in the first round. Um, so, you know, they've had some tournament uh, 
shortcomings that, you know, will certainly not go over well if they continue at UCLA. Because as we've seen, you know, Sweet 16 at UCLA is not enough to make people happy. Well, an Elite Eight and not, you know, returning to the Elite Eight the next year is enough to get you on the hot seat. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, as we discussed, I just am not sure that UCLA is – is the job that it used to be, uh, but it, it will be interesting to see how it how it goes and and how he does. I think you know I think he can do well, but I'd be surprised if he does well enough to you know re UCLA into a national power. I don't I don't necessarily expect that. Well, let's go from talking about players who get paid under the table, if at all, to guys who are about to be paid a lot of money over the table. It's time, Matt. For the That's 2019 NFL Draft quarterback breakdown. That it is. That it is. After months of uh, discussing Kyler Murray off and on, off and on, uh, it appears he's going to be the first quarterback taken and probably the first pick, I guess, it seems. Um, and then we'll see where everybody else falls. So, yeah, let's let's get going. So here are the guys who are being mentioned as first-round guys. It's Murray... Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State, Drew Locke of Missouri. Do you, Daniel Jones, I think, too, of and, Duke. And that one, to me, is the one – he's probably the one who I want to talk the most about. Okay. Um, because I just don't get it. He's got – he is Mr. Measurables. Um, he is. You know, he is. I mean, to an extent, yeah. Um, 6'5", you know, were his combine measures. You know, athletic, um, you know, a guy who, you know, his, his, his production does not equal the, the hype. hype. <laughs> um, however, you know, I've had to almost kind of re-examine, you know, because uh, I've said many years we've done this. We've talked quarterbacks and I've always, you know, favored like, well, give me the guy who, you know, who wins in college. You know, I'd rather have a guy who, you know, gets his team, maybe not a national title, but, you know, wins 10 games, gets to a big bowl plays for a conference title well you know you look at pat mahomes he didn't do that jared goff uh, jared goff didn't do that and but is it the, the best quarterbacks last year so is it the system though and is that know. and is that what know. we're learning about the nfl is it really doesn't matter if you if you hit the threshold level of talent if if you play in the right system it doesn't mm-hmm. matter as long as you as long as you meet the bare minimum requirements like some guys you know, Drew Breeses of the world. Uh-huh. And and I think Mahomes to an extent probably falls under this with the arm talent that he has yeah. could make yeah. whatever system work and make it better. Right. But I'm not convinced that, you know, if you swapped Jarrett Goff with generic quarterback, Alex yeah. Smith, a healthy yeah. Alex Smith, that a healthy Alex Smith in this system wouldn't be – as good possibly i don't know i mean that's that's a good question and and maybe that is the case um i don't know i mean daniel jones is interesting because yeah i i agree i mean and, and Locke really you can say the same thing about you know never really had it i mean the best season missouri had i think was eight and four with him um never contended for an sec title with him never you know played in a major bowl game um but you know has the has that you know, arm strengths that you want, um, can move around also. Jones, not the biggest arm, but I think people love the, the background. 
playing for David Cutcliffe, you know, playing in a in an actual, you know, pro style scheme uh, mm-hmm. where, you you know, you call plays in the huddle and you, you know, take snaps under center and things like that, uh, which we don't see that much in college anymore. Or the pros, um, though. You know, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, less less teams do that consistently in the pros, but there's still there's still a value placed on that. I yeah, think, the know, ability to do it. Right, right. You know, and, and we look at the other guys and they haven't. Now, Locke did it a little bit this year with Derek Dooley as the coordinator. They kind of, you know, ran a different scheme than what he played in before. But, you know, Haskins is a spread guy. Murray's a spread guy. Um, you know, some of the other guys later on, you know, that will probably go in the second or third day. Jared Stidham played in that in high school and college. Um, you know, Will Greer played in that system in college. So uh, there is a, a value placed on what Jones did. And and I think you have to also, you know, concede that he wasn't on a very good team. And so should you hold the win-loss record against him and the, and the poor, you know, relatively poor stats? It's a little Josh Allen-esque. Um, he's not surrounded by very good talent. If Daniel Jones had played at, you know, Florida or someplace like that, you know, would he have put up better numbers because he had better talent around him? No way to know. So ESPN's official quarterback hierarchy, which is interesting because on the overall rank, they have Murray 11 and Haskins 12, but on their quarterback specific rank, they have Haskins ahead of Murray. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They've got Locke third, Ryan Finley fourth, Jared Stidham fifth, Jones sixth, and Will Greer seventh. So they're down on Jones compared to others. I mean, and it's always interesting this time of year. Uh, Well, I mean, every every time of year has a little bit of a cycle, and now we're into the time of year where, you know, it's like, oh, is this guy, I mean, the the report this week, you know, is Dwayne Haskins sinking? Could he be the fourth quarterback taken? Um, you know, Peter King reported that Monday morning and it started to pick up steam and he's not going to the draft attending it. And so there's, you know, thought that does he know he's, his stock is sinking and he doesn't want to sit there and, uh, you know, have the cameras on him and all that. Um, uh, you know, you never know what to expect. And, and I, I don't personally, I know people are saying that, you know, four of these guys are going to go first round. I'd be surprised if that's the case. I just think this is, this is a really good draft for defensive players. And I think, um, you know, I just don't see teams reaching for a quarterback like like we're projecting. I think mock drafts are going to prove to be somewhat inaccurate. The one thing, and it happens in fantasy drafts and it happens in real drafts, you get antsy if you feel like you need to take a quarterback and you're not not Cleveland who just let guys go for years and years. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, you do, and, and uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of teams that are kind of questionable. You know, I mean, you, yeah, if we if we presume the Cardinals are going to take Murray, which seems to be the thought, although I'm still not totally sold on that. But then you got the Raiders, and then you got the Giants, and then you got the Dolphins, and you got the Redskins, and, you know, do those teams take one or not? I, maybe one does, but I'm not sure that that all of them are ultimately going to in the first round. Now, maybe you see somebody take one second or third round, um, but, you know, you, the Raiders have Derek Carr. They apparently love Kyler Murray, but if they don't get Murray, do they take someone else? I'm kind of thinking no. Uh, the Dolphins appear to be, you know, the, the thought is they're they're really in on next year's quarterback class. So maybe they just let it, let it pass them by this year, 
make their way through with Ryan Fitzpatrick and see what they can do in 2020. What? So, we'll, you know, we'll see. It's, it's going to be interesting, as it always is. I don't think this class is that great, to be honest, at the top. Well, um, it, it, you're you're borne out by the fact that Haskins, Murray, and Locke all graded out at a 90 grade, and they are the highest according to ESPN. No yeah. one graded out above a 90. And then after that, Finley is fourth at an 81, and he and Stidham are tied at that. So you've yeah. got... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think this is a pretty solid class for guys. If you want, if you want somebody in the third round, fourth round, fifth round, I think there's some decent depth there. Guys like, you know, Finley and Clayton Thorson and Will Greer, Jarrett Stidham, and guys, you know, guys that maybe become something for you. Maybe they're high end backups. You know, maybe they, maybe they can develop into a starter, but maybe not. I think those guys are okay, but. The, the top level guys, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not truly sold on that many of them at all. Um, I would take Haskins. Uh, I think, you know, the, what's funny is, you know, oh, Haskins stock is thinking, well, what, what exactly has he done since throwing 50 touchdowns and, you know, in the big 10 that's making his stock sink. I don't, I don't get that. Yeah. Now maybe it's a smoke screen too. Maybe it's, you know, a team out there that wants that report and, you know, Oh, well, you know, Dwayne Haskins, you know, you don't want him. And then they're going to jump up and take him and, you know, pat themselves on the back. You always, you always wonder this time of year. The interesting thing I heard on the ringers NFL podcast that I wanted to run by you because I trust your opinion on it. They talked about if you're building a team, obviously everyone concedes a young cheap quarterbacks, a, sure. a great value asset. Sure. But the contention I heard that I hadn't really given a lot of thought to is if you're a team like Miami, where you've got holes kind of everywhere, mm-hmm. are you better off using this draft to try to fill all the holes and get everybody around the quarterback a year of experience so that next year, if you draft a rookie, then in two years, when he's in his second year, everyone else is in their third year, they've had time yeah. to gel, and you still have time to make moves because the rookie quarterback who, or your right. young quarterback still got four years of control, and right. everybody else, you've had two whole years to evaluate. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I hadn't, hadn't thought of that, but uh, it does make some sense. And, uh, you know, I also I read, I think it was Albert Breer who does the, you know, the Monday morning quarterback, now the Peter King doesn't do it. You know, had a thing this week about, you know, our, some teams are, are thinking that the 2020 class with Herbert, Tua, Jake Fromm, you know, is a much better class than this group. And they may just, you know, kind of punt on this group and, you know, set themselves up for next year. Um, so that plays into that theory, too. Now, who knows? We, we always seem to hear, you know, one April that, boy, next April, the quarterback class is going to be amazing. And then, you know, we see their flaws and guys get injured or guys struggle. And, and it's like, you know, this class isn't as good as people thought. Same thing with the NBA draft. This was supposed to be an incredible, Oh, this class is going to be amazing. And now it's like, well, boy, beyond Zion and John Morant, who's really any good. So, mm-hmm. you know, you never know how it's, how it's going to feel next year, but I tend to think from what I've seen of those guys, that the guys coming back in college are better than most of the guys this year. I mean, it, if you ask me right now, would I take Drew Locke or would I wait a year and take Tua? I'm waiting a year and taking Tua. Yeah. 
Well, and if I asked you, would you take Drew Locke or wait two years, and I guaranteed you Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, right, yeah. Yeah, now, that's a hard thing to do because, you know, even waiting a year, I mean, job security is a a fickle thing in the NFL. And, you know, can you, you know, how many teams can really say, well, you know, we're just going to buy our time. Well, two years from now, we'll get our quarterback. Uh, You know, because by then, somebody else may be making that pick. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think those guys are better. I since last year's class, which, you know, had Darnold and Mayfield and Rosen. And I, I, you know, I loved last year's class. I wasn't a big Baker Mayfield guy, as you know, neither were you. Um, but I love Darnold. I love Lamar Jackson. I thought I like Josh Rosen a lot. I like Josh Allen. Uh, I just did not think this year's class was that good. I thought there would only be maybe two guys picked in the first round. It sounds like there's going to be at least three. Everybody seems to think there's going to be three. But it would not shock me if Thursday night here in a couple weeks comes and goes and there's only two. It, it just would not. And then and then you see a run on Friday of, you know, like, whoa, now we can get this guy in the second round? Okay. You know, then you see maybe three guys take it in the first 15 picks of the second round. Well, that'd be great for the Packers because they'd probably have a pick to trade in the early second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It'll be um, – It'll be interesting to see, obviously, you know, that the big domino is, well, I mean, the first domino is, does Kyler Murray actually go number one? Everybody seems to think that. But if that doesn't happen and he falls, then everybody else falls too, you know, because then, well, then the Raiders really want a quarterback. They could take him at four. And then, it, you know, it sounds like the Giants are not real hot to take a quarterback at six, like everybody assumed for months. Um, they don't. You know, uh, more and more you hear less projections of that. Maybe at 17 with their second pick they do. Um, uh, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's just, it'll be interesting to see. I, personally, I guess first round for me, I'd take Haskins and Murray, I suppose. And that's probably it. I, I'm not really hot on anybody else for a first round pick. Yeah, it's interesting because last year, as you got closer and momentum built, you felt like actually, yeah, all these guys are going to go and that's going to be, and now as momentum builds, you're like, um, a lot of people are hedging and I'm not sure, you know, this guy's not that great. I just think if I'm a, if I'm the Redskins, for example, and yes, they, you know, they need somebody, you know, in the future, because obviously Alex Smith's future is very much shaky. Um, I'm not, I'm not rushing it. Like if I get somebody in the second round, maybe a Will Greer or something like that. Okay. I'll take my chances, but I'd rather get a, a, a difference maker with 15, you know, in what is supposed to be a very good defensive draft, a lot of good pass rushers, good corners, good safeties, um, you know, deep at a lot of spots on defense. Uh, I'd, I'd rather, you know, get hopefully a pro bowler on defense than take a chance on Drew Locke. Yeah. You know, as you get later in the draft, Pac-12 people could see Gardner Minshew go, which would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he's a day three or or free agent probably. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, we'll be interested to see where he falls. Um, I don't know. Are there any other Pac-12 guys likely to get picked? I mean, Browning went to the combine, but I'd be surprised if he got drafted. I'd I'd assume he's a free agent. Yeah, Manny's Um, not going to get drafted. Yeah, I think he's probably a free agent signing somewhere. 
I mean, there, there, a lot of Pac-12 teams have their quarterbacks back. So yeah, the, the guy at UCLA who was splitting reps, Spate, right? Well, Spate, yeah. He, I don't think yeah, he's going anywhere. I, I don't think so either. I, you know, which is interesting because, you know, I think he's a guy who, and maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, he, he looked pretty good at the end of the year and when he got healthy. And he's got experience playing for, you know, different types of offense. Chip Kelly, Jim Harbaugh, you can't get much different offensively. He started for both. You know, you, you think he's a guy that could at least bring some value as a, as a you know, third quarterback, a camp guy, you know, give you a guy who, who knows how to study a playbook, been there, done that. Um, maybe he gets a free agent chance. I don't know. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's not fleet of foot by any means, um, you know, and so, it, you know, the, the trend of athletic quarterbacks runs against him. But, you know. Looked pretty good against us. I, mean, I know it was only one game, but boy, you watched him in that game and thought, wow, this guy could play a little bit if he ever, ever could stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of guys like that. You know, I think that uh, what's Brett Rippon's, what, Mark Rippon's nephew? Is that right? Nephew, yeah. You yeah. Know, he's yeah. a guy was who he? I could see going just because, yeah. you know, yeah. there's family ties. and Agreed, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. Like I said, I think this is a, a solid draft. If you're looking, you know, on day three for a guy who could be a backup slash number three, I think there's a lot of decent options. But if you're looking for a starter, I don't think there's a lot of great options. And it's crazy. I, I realize, you know, Murray's probably going to go number one, but I'm not sold on Kyler Murray as an NFL quarterback. Well, not. And any and, animosity, he could leave and take the A's money. Right. Right, exactly right. You know, so um, that's why that you know the notion, and I, I don't know if you heard the report last week. You know, it was, it was buzzing around here. Well, you know, the Cardinals could just keep Josh Rosen. He's, he's really cheap, and they could keep him as a you know backup. Like, come on, that is I mean, an yes, untenable situation. I mean, yeah, like financially, <laughs> they could, but yes, financially, yeah, they could pay him and Murray, and you know, that's not that much money. But one. That's a huge waste of resources of last year's draft. You use three picks to get Josh Rosen. You're going to use. You're going to say three draft picks for a backup quarterback. Can't imagine that. You're going to try to get something back on that lost cause. And two, you know. So let's say you do bring him, and then you're going to do the whole. Well, you know, have him compete. Kyle Murray could bolt at any moment. That option is there. He's got leverage that very few football players have when they get drafted. You know, if you bring back Rosen, and what if Rosen outperforms him? Then you know Murray could just say, "Well, see ya, Oakland. Well, what, what are you going to offer me?" Yeah, you know he's not a lock by any no, stretch of the imagination. No, I don't think so. And it's not because he's short. You know the, the, the short thing doesn't bother me that much. I mean, you can he's been short his whole life. He's played quarterback. He's had success. He's but, he's um, svelte. He's he's yes. a light person. Yes. Yes. Can he? Can he avoid taking hits? You know, I, I think you and I talked about this. I know I've talked about it with other people. You know, this notion that, you know, oh, well, he plays baseball, so he knows how to slide. Yeah, he played baseball, and he knows how to slide on the diamond. That doesn't mean he knows how to avoid taking a hit. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, it's the same thing we talked about with Lamar Jackson last right. year, which is you will have video game-type moves and balance. Sure. Sure. But now everyone is the best linebacker on their college team. Right. You know? Right. I mean, we've seen this over the years. We saw it with Mike Vick. We've seen it with Robert Griffin. We saw it with Vince Young. 
Uh, you know, these guys, you know, Lamar Jackson last year, they take the lead by storm and, and then defenses figure them out a little bit. And, and it's, can they adjust? And Mike Vick adjusted fairly well, uh, you know, had his ups and downs, but adjusted, had a nice career. Some of the others didn't, you know, they say did not adjust and they had short careers because of that. So we'll see about Lamar Jackson jury's out on that, obviously, but you, you gotta be more than just fast to be a good quarterback. Now Murray's got a great arm, proved that mm-hmm. in college. He's a better passer than Lamar Jackson. I would, I would say that, but you know, he's again, you know, he's only got one year of starting experience. Um, so there's that, or that's a knock against Haskins too, I suppose, you know, neither one of them is very experienced when it comes to college reps. So that's, that used to scare teams off. Apparently it doesn't anymore. 10 years ago, that was a huge knock. Oh, you only started 12 games. Ooh, well, we don't want it now. That just kind of gets forgotten, I guess. Yeah. So what do you think? Regardless of system, you'd take Haskins first. Who- I think I would. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I you know, I, I saw what he did in college. I, I, you know, went through a little midseason lull, but then bounced back, played really well. Uh, can move well enough. Not a runner, but not a you know, not Drew Bledsoe either. He can. No, you know, I, he can at at worst, he's a Roethlisberger type yeah. where he's yeah. big yeah. and he knows how to move in the pocket yeah can probably take it take the physical toll you think big guy um yeah i i like him the best now it sounds like we're looking at a situation where he might be the third or fourth quarterback taken so i guess i'm gonna swim against the tide here uh, maybe you know now we'll see um uh, you know the murray thing is interesting because i'm not sure how many people really believe he's the best player in the draft as you just said, you know, the ESPN thing has him 11. But everybody seems to think that the team with the number one pick is in love with him and is going to take him. So it's just kind of presumed that's where he's going. So it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. But then again, go back to last year. Last year at this time, very few people had the Browns taking Baker Mayfield. Sam Darnold was the presumed number one pick for about three months between the end of the season and about a week before the draft when that started to change. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see, but yeah, I take Haskins. What about you? I would, I would say he has to me the best combination of high floor and and high ceiling. I yeah. think that you know Murray's ceiling might be high. I think that on the flip side, you know, the floor for Jones or Locke might be pretty high. But I don't know how much they're going to go up. Um, right. I, I think Gardner Minshew at that level is, you know, you're looking at a guy who might be a backup Jim Sorgi role where he might be a backup yes. for seven years and never be a starter anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of guys in this draft like that, and that's a valuable role. I mean, it sounds like a knock. But, but that is a valuable role. Guys have long careers and make a lot of money as good backup quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, well, and if you really play your cards right, you become Matt Flynn. And you make right, a bunch of money right. and then go back to being In a backup. a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, – I, I think there's good depth. I don't think it's just – I just don't think it's great at the top end. Um, but, you know, hey – they always say quarterbacks get overvalued. It does always seem that way. I mean, every every draft lately, you know, oh, there's, you know, I think what 2013 there was only one EJ Manuel, 
win the first round and then every one since I think has had three or more um, and so there's always guys who get overdrafted there's a Paxton Lynch there's a, a Blake Jake Bortles uh, Jake Locker or Blaine Gabbert uh, you know and, and I would not be surprised if there's a couple of guys like that in this draft let's say that if and I don't I don't dislike Daniel Jones again I was kind of uh, you know advocating for him when we first talked about him but would I bet money on Daniel Jones or Drew Locke working out being good NFL starters? I would not. Yeah. Um, we'll do a little bit more on the draft between here and the draft. But yes, we, we got we got fifteen days. Still still see where it goes, but yeah, yeah. Um, but an event that has passed has come and gone. Yes. WrestleMania thirty five, even though we don't put numbers on it anymore. Which I just don't get, but I yeah, they don't. But Wikipedia does. So if you want to know right. what happened, if you Wikipedia WrestleMania thirty five, it'll You'll give you all the one. Yes, yes. Um I don't think we have to go match by match, but overall I have now seen all of it. I did okay, not good. watch all of it on the night of. Uh because I, I, did. I went to bed. And it was exhausting, let me <laughs> tell you. By the end of that show, I mean, by the by the time the Finn Balor match started, which was the second to last match, I was having our. I mean, I'm like, man, dude, I gotta I gotta do something to keep myself awake. That it's just a long time to sit and watch an event. I told you before, you know, last week when we talked about it, I don't know how you know people in the stands did it. Uh, that's hard, man, sitting outside for something that long. I mean, you think about a football game is three three and a half hours, maybe maybe close to four a college game. This was about double that length close to it that's that's hard to do yeah it is a commitment and i was home and i was doing other things and i didn't even start with the pre-show until the lat the you know i saw the andre the giant battle royal yes (laughs) um which was pointless but yes and entirely predictable very very predictable yeah i was stunned by how predictable it was honestly and but I will say this, um, a lot of the rest of the card surprised me. You know, I mean, uh, we, we kind of went through last week and, you know, I, I made a lot of forecasts on who I thought would win and several of them went the opposite way. Um, so, you know, they, they had a, a good unpredictability to it, basically, that, you know, kept it interesting. Yeah. Uh, the main show opened after Alexa Bliss hosted and introduced Hulk Hogan, which I told you I was already out on. Uh, I just don't even know what to say about your blasphemy about booing Hulk Hogan, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, agree to disagree. He's uh, the Hulk. There is no WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan. Um, he made a joke about his earlier misstatement <laughs> uh, at one where he called the Superdome right. the Silverdome. So the he's Silver like, Dome. it's great to be at the Silverdome, and everyone Correct. kind of laugh-groaned. And then he still yes. got the name of the venue wrong. He still got it wrong. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah, which apparently was not intentional. Um, I thought it was at the time. Like, oh, okay, yeah, a little, you know, fun, fun joke here. But, yeah, he's old. What can they say? You know, old old people get things wrong all the time. In a few years, that'll be us. Oh, I'm sure I already am there, but. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, we're, we're getting close to it anyway, so. But they did, um. A, a swerve out of the gate by having Brock Lesnar's match at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, apparently, you had made a joke to Randy about it. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. I, 
we had joked about it because, you know, during the pre-show, I said, you know, I was kind of, I always try to think, you know, I try to think like a writer of the show because it keeps it interesting for me. And I'm always, you know, with a pay-per-view, especially a big pay-per-view, I always think, okay, what do you open with? We knew what they were going to close with, but what do you open with? You open with, you know, something big. You don't open with the tag team titles. You got to do something, you know. And I even kind of joke, like, you know, oh, maybe they'll open with Lesnar so we can get on a plane and get out of there. That apparently was true. That, you know, he was he was out of there and back home probably before the show ended. Yeah. Um, so they came out. Uh, Rollins beat Lesnar after Lesnar, you know, really took it to him before the uh, the bell rung, which yeah. I, I love that. The ref's out there. They're, he's pounding on him. And then the, <laughs> the, 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 the premise of it is, the ref might not start the match because right. that's not right. And unless the the option in that instance was, oh, okay, well, we're going to have um, someone else come and, and replace right. Seth, which would be a terrible WrestleMania moment for Seth Rollins. Yes, it would. Yes. Um, it was uh, like, you know, I, I you know. knew where it was going. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, it was one of those classic wrestling, you know, uh, suspend your your logic moments because you know it's like okay clearly they're going to start the match and in fact I picked you know I thought Lesnar was going to win because I did not think the, the faces would go three and zero in the title matches which I was wrong um, but the way the match started with the beat down like that I you know as soon as that was going on I thought well Rollins is going to win this because yeah. they're setting this up for this sympathetic you know oh he got beat up but watch the heroic valiant comeback yeah. And, of course, he cheated to do it so that if and yes, when Brock decides he wants to wrestle again, uh, can he can say that. that back, yeah. Yeah, but good good for Rollins. Uh, good, you know, I mean, he's, he's fought his way back from a bad injury a few years ago and, you know, really, you know, got, got the fans on his side last year. Where, you know, he had that big gauntlet match, much like Kofi, and, and you know, got everybody on his side. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cooled a bit. Uh, but you know, good for him to have that moment, and good for the good for wrestling to have a champion that's actually going to be on TV weekly. Mm-hmm. It's been way too much the last two, three years with a champ who's only on, you know, on average about once every two months. Yeah, I think um, I think the next match of the night was one of the better stories as far as wrestling in the ring there was no story for the build-up other than no. hey, they were both good and they haven't fought each other before styles and orton yeah yeah um yeah the one thing and maybe i'm maybe this is the wrestling equivalent of the old man get off my lawn it, <laughs> it used to be that you could win a match by pummeling your opponent and then pinning him and yeah. then somewhere in the 2000s, the match would end because you'd hit your finisher. And then yeah, in, yeah. The, in the yeah. mid-2000s, it became guys could kick out of finishers. Right, right. I want to go back a little bit because the RKO was a finisher that you didn't kick out of. Right, I know. And, 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 you, and it's funny because no one ever kicks out of it on TV. Mm-hmm. But on pay-per-views, it's like, you know, it's like a video game when you get that, mm-hmm. like, turbo boost. You mm-hmm. know, everybody gets, like, a, a little extra bonus life on a pay-per-view and they can kick out of a finisher. Mm-hmm. So, Orton hit the RKO and still couldn't pin Styles, who came back and won. So With the phenomenal forearm, yes. yes. Which is, really, it's a fun finishing move, but 
kind of kind of like you know Dean Ambrose and Dirty Deeds. It's not. I mean, it's basically an elbow to the face. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 fun, and he pulls it off great because Styles is a great wrestler. But you know, yeah, you, again, suspend that disbelief a little bit and believe that you know him flying and hitting you with an arm to the face is a knockout move. Well, it's the same thing with Roman Reigns, which we'll get into. But right. the Superman punch, in theory, should be no more damaging than the punch. A regular punch. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Yes. Because yes. Yeah. he's not, in fact, a superhero. He's no, he's not. a guy who Correct. Correct. is punching yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. So I agree. I mean, I was surprised Styles won. I thought Orton would win. So I was over two at that point on the main card because uh, I, I thought those would go the opposite direction. Tag team championship match. Surprisingly, the the champs left with the titles. Yeah. Um, now they've lost them since. They yeah. lost on Tuesday night to the Hardys, uh, giving the Hardy Boys another tag team title reign. But uh, yeah, that was a, it. Was a good match. I mean, that was a match that really had very little build. Um, and, you know, so that was a uh, that was a get uh, everyone on the card match. Yeah, you know what? It was get everyone on the card, and it was also a you know you got look the crowd's not going to be up for five hours and so you got to plan the matches out right that was a okay we had our title match we had styles orton let's uh let's get one in here that's not you know uh, overly thrilling and then i think the when the next match the miz and shane mcmahon yeah with big spots all around which was a very uh, you know entertaining man i mean not a not a great technical wrestling but you knew it wouldn't be i mean the shane matches is not that way um but you know definitely had some some highlights to it and the, the finish was Finish was well done. I, I, I enjoyed the finish, even though I was surprised by the winner. Yeah. But Shane's got to beat somebody sometime. So. That's true. That's true. And, and you know, now he's heel Shane. And so it kind of makes sense, I guess, when you think about it. Now they probably have a rematch at the next pay-per-view, and The Miz will get that win back, I would presume. Yeah. Well, and having The Miz, you know, pummel him and basically nice. beat him into begging for mercy. And then he lost, but only because he was willing to, you know— Sacrifice his own body to destroy Shane. It was very face Shane of him. Like, you know, that's what Shane did in all his big matches. He'd go for the huge move, and it would just barely backfire, so he lost. But it was like, man, that guy went out fighting. That was was very much the way they did that one. I believe they said during the broadcast it was a 15-foot stage. I predict that by the time the next pay-per-view comes, <laughs> it will be a 25-foot stage 25 where he did the suplex feet. off of. Very likely. Very likely, yes. Yes, yeah. That was uh, that was a good match and a creative finish, too. You know, have Shane fall basically just barely on top of him. And, and that was one where they actually did follow logic where, hey, you know, it's falls count anywhere. He's laying on top of him. Count the pin. Uh, you know, usually in wrestling, you're like, uh, why aren't you counting the pin? What are you doing? That one, they, they made sense. Yeah. And we'll get to later how in the final match right. of the night, there there was clearly not a pin, pin prematurely. that ended yeah. it with yeah. a pin. Um, yeah. The women's tag match, um, speaking of good endings, really well written to have the, the tagging yourself in as the person goes flying out yep. of the ring after yep. someone yep. else hit their finishing move so you can just take Classic, the pin uh, Classic heel move, yeah, yeah. They hit the move. You uh, actually you tag them in, but no one knows it. Nah, you get the pin, and you know uh, I, I was surprised by that one too. I figured Sasha and Bailey would keep the titles for a while, so to that point, they had, they had surprised me a lot. Yeah. Uh, so the Iconics get the win. 
Not shocked that Beth Phoenix and Natalia did not get the win no, because no. that was a team for one she night was only. Clearly a part timer coming back. Yeah, yeah. If you're already in the Hall of Fame, you rarely get titles. The uh, title, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was exciting, and then the match of the night, really. Yeah, a hundred percent. I was going to say that if you didn't say it, it was the moment of the night. It was the match of the night. It was, uh, you know, crazily because there were so many other things that were built up longer for months and months. But to me, it is the one that, that you'll remember this WrestleMania for. And that is Kofi Kingston finally climbing the mountain and beating the new Daniel Bryan yes. for the WWE yes. title. Um, yes, a great match. They booked it so well. Um, you know, yeah. they built the suspense at the end. Well, and they the, heel, the heel moves by Bryan that were like, when he was a face, you would have said great technical yes. wrestling that he'd roll all the way out of the ring as a, right. t- after a break of a hold, just right. Right. just to get some space, you know. Yes, yes, yeah. It was it was just very, and they you know they involved the guys on the outside without having interference. You know, they they have Rowan try to get involved, but then Jay helps. Well, and, and he just got him. in the way. the The, the yes. cool thing about what Rowan did was it was what the old timey you know, outside the ring guy would do, which is Brian rolled out. Kofi tried to follow him and Rowan just stood there and prevented him from getting away. And then new day takes him out. So we're back to one-on-one. They didn't go the cheap route with, you know, Oh, the face gets distracted and loses, you know, with a roll up, um, you know, or loses by giving up the finishing. And they also didn't have the new day interfere on Kofi's behalf, which was good. You know, there were a couple of times where there was a near fall for Brian, where you're like, Ooh, this would be the moment where you pull the referee out of the ring or, you know, and they didn't do that. They didn't didn't cheapen the match at all. Yeah. They they kept those guys involved without actually any cheating on either side. Yeah. Um, just, just really good. And a great, I mean, just a cool moment for him to get that win. And look, I mean, you know, it's scripted, and everybody knows that, or you should know that. Um, but you, you also have to realize that, I mean, you know, it is a tough business. Um, and this guy has put in the, the time to get this moment. Probably wasn't going to get it, except for, you know, one, another guy gets injured. They put him in as the replacement. They book him to, you know, go the entire hour. The fans, you know, go nuts for him and basically drove it. Um, and they were going to put him in at fast lane. And I think they realized like, Hey, we really got something here. Let's not waste it at fast lane. Let's do it at WrestleMania. Give him the moment. Just, just cool. Um, you know, it's what pro wrestling is supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, they, they booked it so well from the, you know, and, and like you said, they, they fell backwards into into this, but, but they didn't, they didn't rush it. They didn't, Take it away from us. I mean, because so many times, and that's part of what makes moments like this good, is that the writers know what they're doing to keep you involved because they take away the moment sometimes. You know, like there were a number of times during Brock Lesnar's title reign where you thought, okay, this is it. He's going to drop the belt here. Yeah. And we're going to, and then he would just win. And he'd still win. You know, last year's WrestleMania, everyone figured Reigns was beating him. That was it. And then he won. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah. I mean, this this was this was the perfect way to do it. I know, you know, fans got upset that they canceled the fast lane match, and and I remember even thinking like, eh, let it let it be that he wasn't a fast lane. No way, 
So this is good. Let this happen at WrestleMania. This is better. And it gave him that opportunity. Like sometimes you got to play the long game. And and I think, you know, wrestling fans, Twitter wrestling fans, they want to, you know, they want everything right now. And it's like, dude, just be patient. WrestleMania is a much bigger show. We'll get it there. And that's what we got. And that for me was my main event. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, it was me too. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was hard to kind of like rally yourself back up. And they, they did, a, again, a smart job by the next match was Joe and Mysterio, which Mysterio was injured. And so they, you know, they went with the very short match, Joe with the squash win, basically. Yeah, uh, and that was, that was your traditional squash heel versus face. Mysterio hit his move, yes. didn't matter, got caught, and, and got beat down. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, quick, uh, you know, Joe's version of the sleeper hold, the coquina clutch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, in wrestling, you know, everybody else puts a sleeper hold on, and it's like, yeah, they're out of it two seconds. But for Samoa Joe, it's unbelievably powerful and puts people out, and they can't come back from it. Yeah, but that's wrestling. Um, you know, and, and again, good. You know, wish he could have had more of a match because I, I like him. I think he's a good wrestler, great heel. Um, but you know, with the injury and plus they had to have some shorter matches. You, we, we discussed it last week, like you had to have one or two that were quick. That one was one. Valor was another one. Uh, you know, so it was, it was good to, to do that there kind of, you know, again, acknowledging that the crowd was going to be spent after that Kofi match. Uh, they filed that up with Reigns McIntyre, which was okay. Kind of a yawner. Your, your, your yawn is, uh, Apropos, there that again, I think still the the emotional come down from the Kofi match, and there was nothing on the line in that Reigns match. Like, I mean, even though those are two good, you know, they're two main eventer type guys, there was no consequence to it. It didn't really matter who won or lost. Yeah. Uh, then we got the Elias WrestleMania gimmick where he finished a song, which yes. you know was surprising in its own right. He got through the song with with him three ways. Uh, that's right. That's right. right. Playing all the roles. Yeah. And then the the surprise, which I enjoyed, the the doctor of thugonomics, John Cena, returned. Yeah, they went with uh, gimmicky original John Cena coming out I in a it. Babe Ruth jersey. Yeah, uh, yeah, I loved it. It was a little something different. It wasn't your typical, you know, John Cena run out, never give up, hustle, loyalty, respect, blah blah blah. It was it was different. And again, that's that's what wrestling should give you every now and again. Yeah. Uh, so he hit his finisher. He changed the name back to the FU. Yes, yes. Um, he, he returned to Attitude Era John Cena. And uh, and that was that. He made his appearance. They paid him whatever they paid him for that. Oh, yeah. For that four minutes. That's right. Um, That's right. And then uh, the career on the line match where Triple H, Shocker of Shockers, won <laughs> a, yeah, a yeah. WrestleMania match and is no longer in jeopardy of not being able to wrestle. Again. That's right. That's right. Yes. And that was a match that was too long. Um, I would say of every match, you know, that was the one that could have easily lost five or 10 minutes and been fine. Yeah. Batista I mean, retired from pro wrestling after the match, which was presumed. Uh, I mean, his, his movie career is taken off, which I never would have guessed. Um, but it has, and, you know, you had to figure he was, this was his last go round. And, you know, it was a good match, but like, just too long. You know, classic Triple H, book yourself in a 15 minute match, but he made it 25. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, Batista, I predict, Hall of Fame next year. Um, yep, I think that's that's very much fair to say. And then, of course, you know, by that point, everybody will forget about the animosity and Triple H and Flair will, you know, put their arms around him and they'll celebrate evolution, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Angle's final match, I thought actually booked fairly well, considering you Not knew bad. he had to lose. Let him hit his finisher, let the crowd get into yeah. it. Uh, and, and then have the heroic moment and, and it cost him, and, yeah. you know, like it was, it was solid enough. Yeah. Um, you know, then the Finn Balor match right before the main event, which, you know, the demon came out. I don't know why the demon doesn't come out every time if it makes him unbeatable. It's a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, there is no good answer to that. Um, but yes, yes, he's, he's still undefeated as the demon and it's, gets the it's title a, back. It's uh, the same logic of if you, you know, can throw a Superman punch, why would you not always be punching why at the Superman right away? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, why doesn't Randy Orton just hit the RKO right away? Every match of his, because it's unstoppable. Um, there's no good answer, but uh, but yeah, you know, a, a decent match. But again, by that point of the night, you were out. Myself, and I think most, it was like, you know, all right, let's just get to the main event because the show's going on too long, and it, and it's hard to say. Like, you know, it was a good show, but it's just too long. Like, I don't know what they need to do about it, but six you know almost six hours for the main card almost eight for the whole thing is a long time yeah um one thing in the finn balor match before we go very cool spot with the spear through the ropes um, that was good that was good yes 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 i mean that was really good yeah like, you know they, he's, I, he, I hope he's super athletic he is. He is. I hope they continue to, you know, push him and even maybe get him back at the, in the title picture soon. Um, you know, he's he could be every bit as good as Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, those type of guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so going to the main event, Ronda Rousey, who you expect would lose, yeah. uh, Charlotte and Becky – the only mystery really was going to be would they let Charlotte lose at WrestleMania as opposed to, you know, she's lost at other pay-per-views, but right. she had a history of dominating at WrestleManias. Right. And, uh, you know, they went the other way. They let Becky win. Yeah, they gave her the moment that, that uh, you know, she she built toward and, and that the fans wanted. But I, I think they could have done it more declaratively. I didn't, I didn't love the, uh, you know, oh, really? counter move. Um, you know, she won, and that was the right winner. But they should have gone with the tap out. They like, you know, go with the, the authoritative finish. She gets Rousey in the in the arm bar or whatever they call it. Taps her out. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they wound up going with was a Piper's pit, but Lynch hung on to roll right. into the pin. Uh, which apparently was Rousey Rousey's first. Screwed it up. It was Rousey's first uh, be, time being pinned in a match. It was, uh, and it, was. it showed because she lifted her shoulders off the mat yeah. while the count was going. Yeah, she kind of messed it up, but then the referee apparently, you know, messed up by counting it too quickly. I mean, it was, I guess it was the scripted ending, but you know, the ref counted it when he should have waited to start the count um, to and, let her know, get so situated. He, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a little bit of a of a mistake on the finish, and 
just kind of out of nowhere too. Um, you know, I, again, I just felt like they could have could have gone with a more declarative finish. But again, you know, the night ended like it should. Her holding up both titles, she got the moment. Um, the interesting thing to me was, like we talked about, it felt like the Kofi moment was the moment that should have been Becky's, but it was built too long. Like Becky's Becky's moment took too, you know, it, it just. I know though, I know why, but it was like excruciating to get there. Whereas Kofi's was just the right amount of time. The man's anticipation was there, but it wasn't like, okay, it's going to. Plus, there was actually legit uncertainty whether Kofi would win. I think most people assumed Becky Lynch was going to win. Yeah. It was. um, It was okay for what it was. You know, I think that what we learned. Or what I learned after, you know, questioning to you, why in the world would we bring this up? Why would we have Charlotte involved? They wanted to unify the titles. That was all. Correct. That's Correct. that's where yeah. that's where this all was coming from, and we just didn't see it, or I didn't see it, I should say, until we got there. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they, I think they should have done that better too. I mean, I think they, they could have given Charlotte the SmackDown title weeks ago and built that up. Yeah, um, they could have. You know, they could have had Charlotte win the Rumble and yes. just challenge uh, for the SmackDown title at Fastlane and say, "I want this because I'm going to unify the belts right, at WrestleMania." Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, or have have Charlotte win the SmackDown title at the Rumble or short, like you know, the the week after. Draw out Becky's decision, and then you make you know Becky the ultimate hero by saying. Well, you got to choose one. I'm not choosing one. I'm choosing to face both of you because I want both titles. Yeah. Something like that. There, there was a way they could have done it, I think, better than what they did. Um, the, the route to that match, as we discussed last week or the week before, was incredibly confusing um, and a little bit sloppy. And the match, the ending of the match, kind of felt that way, too. Like, it was the right ending, but it kind of mirrored the buildup in the sense that it was like, uh, okay. You know, that's it. Like, you know, can't we do this more authoritatively than that? Mm-hmm. But, but again, it ended right. I mean, uh, you know, it ended the way it should have ended, and and the faces got their three titles. So, you know, wrestling fans will be happy for uh, I don't know twenty four hours, and then they'll start complaining about something else. Look, it's the soap opera. It's what we deserve. That's right. And that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so and and no Undertaker, although he did appear on Raw on Monday night, uh, which was kind of weird. Uh, but, uh, the first WrestleMania since 2000 that undertaker was not a part of at all. So little, little, uh, you know, turning of the page, maybe just a little. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about, uh, how the NFL teams are going to turn the page with this next round of, uh, the draft and the new players. And, uh, until next time he's Matt, I'm Ben. It's the Ben Matt sportscast.